0: Hello from Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News. This is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. I'm Clark Corbin. Well, T-minus four days to the May 15th primary. And if you're feeling a little bit dazed and confused because we're, we're right near the election, we feel your pain. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, some of the numbers that we've seen, some of the uh, positions that we've seen the candidates taking on education topics to help you get caught up if you are still trying to get caught up heading into Election Day and heading to the polls.
1: Yeah, interesting news this week, Kevin. You took a look, it seems like all afternoon Tuesday and into Wednesday, at some of the campaign finance reports that were coming in. That was the pre-primary Sunshine Disclosure Reports. But it it gives us an idea of who's supporting the candidates financially, who's raising the most money. Uh, Definitely some surprises in there. Which race do you want to start with? Well, I
0: think we have to start with the governor's race and and maybe take a step back into historical perspective. I mean, I've been following elections for three decades in Idaho, and I've never seen anything like this. Uh, You tally up the numbers and the candidates have put more than $10 million into this race, either their own money or the money that they have raised. And I do not recall a primary in Idaho with that kind of Spending going on, and that doesn't even count the third-party uh, PACs that are also contributing right. to this race and, and and doing advertising. Ten million, and we will probably see some late fundraising in the days leading up to the primary. That will not be reflected in the reports until after the primary. We still have a general election to get through. I mean, this is a this is a hugely expensive race that we've got going on here, and it's not just the fundraising you you have several candidates putting a great deal of their own money into this race tommy alquist has put a couple of million dollars into this race ajit balukov has put a couple million dollars into uh, his primary uh brad little has loaned his campaign i believe it's eight hundred thousand dollars and that raises the price for for the entire field so yeah Again, the historical perspective on this is is really jarring. We've just not seen a primary quite like this.
1: But it's paying dividends in the forms of those great TV ads that we see. Someone had to pay for those. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I mean, it's probably a lot easier to uh, (laughs) to fill the uh, the ad space for TV channels right now, and and, you know, you've seen you know an uptick probably in some print advertising as well. But you know. What I always kind of find myself looking for when I look at some of these reports is just to get a sense of who is supporting whom. Yeah. And, you know, looking at the Republican side of this, uh, you saw some fairly clear divisions uh, between Brad Little and uh, Raul Labrador and Tommy Alquist. A lot of, you know, very, you know, big name Republicans on, you know, on both sides of this race. Really, uh, all three candidates had some, some name Republicans, a couple that jumped out at me. Um, Looking at Brad Little's uh, Sunshine Report, you saw the outgoing chairs of the Joint Finance Appropriations Committee, uh, Sean Keough, Maxine Bell, both contributing. Uh, You saw Dirk Kempthorne, former governor, former senator, former interior secretary. uh, you saw Ben Serna, former Secretary of State, uh, Bruce Newcomb, the former Speaker of the House, a lot of, of establishment, a lot of establishment Republicans, which doesn't really surprise us. That's kind no. of been the the mo for this campaign all along. That's sort of uh, Brad Little's uh, sweet spot. In he is the, the establishment support. candidate. He's the Establishment candidate. He has uh, he's been Butch Otter's choice from day one. So you'd expect the establishment uh, report, or, uh, the establishment money to line up behind Little. Labrador, a little bit more of an insurgent campaign, uh, a little bit more of a campaign uh, to the right, uh, you know, courting support uh, from the right. So you saw a number of conservative legislators uh, lining up behind, behind Raul Labrador, folks like Cliff Bear, uh, Steve Vick, uh, Mike Kingsley, uh, Vito Barbieri, I believe, was on that list as well. Tommy Alquist's list is a little bit more of a mixed bag. Uh, His father. (laughs) His father has been a big contributor to the the third-party pack that has been advertising. And and again, uh, disclosure, uh, Joe Scott, the chairman of the board of the Alberson Foundation, which also funds Idaho Education News, he's been a big contributor to that third-party pack, so I wanted to make that clear. When I look at Alquist's fundraising report, not only do I see a lot of money that he's putting into his own campaign, uh, kind of a mixed bag of support. Uh, only one legislator that I could find, Lee Hyder, a uh, Republican senator from Twin Falls. That was the only one that I noticed. Uh, Bob Custer, the outgoing president of Boise State University, gave some money to the uh, to the Alquist campaign. Well, he wasn't
1: going to give it to Representative Labrador. <laughs> no, given the fact <laughs> that
0: they had the public uh, feud last summer. Uh, no, I would not have expected uh, a Custer donation to show up on a on Labrador fundraising report. Uh, that was the first thing I thought of when I saw Custer's okay. name uh, on the Alquist uh, Sunshine Report. Also, Tom Luna, the former state superintendent, uh, gave $2,500 to the Alquist campaign. So, you know, again, that's kind of how I find myself reading these reports to just get a sense of what are sort of the breakpoints in terms of who's contributing uh, to whom. On the Democratic side... Again, uh, AJ Belukov, a lot of money that he's putting into his own race. Uh, some, you know, you know, we talk about the establishment candidate uh, in the Democratic race is right. clearly AJ Belukov. You see some some big names uh, on you know, in Idaho Democratic uh, circles uh, lining up behind Belukov. Uh, folks like Walt Minnick and Richard Stallings, former uh, d- former congressman, uh, some legislators. Um, so a lot of you know names in Democratic circles. Not so much with Paulette Jordan. Um, her money came a lot from uh, individual donations, but her big donations came from uh, Indian tribes in Idaho and outside the state. That's where a, a lot of her big dollar donations came from.
1: All right. You talked about what was a $10 million in the governor's race, a vastly different story in the state superintendent's race. Less than $40,000 raised combined among all the candidates. That's why we're not seeing the TV ads, the display ads, even the yard signs. Uh, yeah, not yeah, really yeah, surprising.
0: Yeah, picture that you're walking in, in a casino, and now you're walking to the $3 table. Yeah, That's the state superintendent's race. In, the in penny that, slots. It, it, it really is. It's been a very, uh, a very low profile and a very low-budget low campaign. Uh, Cindy Wilson, the Democrat from Meridian, the teacher from Boise High uh, from Boise's Capital High School, uh, has only been in the race for a few weeks and managed in those few weeks to outraise Sherry Ibarra, Jeff Dillon, and Alan Humble combined. Now that's not a lot of money. Still, she raised about twenty six uh, twenty seven thousand dollars in this uh, in this fundraising report. Um, notably, I uh, got five thousand dollars from the Idaho Education Associations pack. Also received $5,000 from, uh, from A.J. Balukov. Um, contrast that, uh, Shari Ibarra, who has never raised a whole lot of money in campaigns. We've, no. we've chronicled that uh, going back to 2014. Raised a little bit of money, not really from education circles. Uh, her biggest donations came from, uh, from PACs, uh, from groups that may have more of a stake in land board issues. Uh, Loggers, the Idaho Cattle Association. uh, uh Fairly mysterious donation that I blogged about earlier this week from a, a PAC in uh, Virginia that has been tied in past elections to uh, Ted Cruz's presidential campaign to uh, Sam Brownback's campaign for governor in Kansas. But nobody really seems to know exactly who this outfit is or who they represent it kicked $1,000 into the Ibarra camp then you get to Jeff Dillon, uh, only a few thousand dollars that he raised. Alan Humble put about $1,000, mostly of his own money, yeah. in- into the campaign. So if you're wondering why you're not hearing about this race, which was always going to get drowned out in terms of uh, media attention, in terms of the public attention, in terms of social media buzz, this is why this race has is, is really been snowed under uh, relative, uh, relative to, the, uh, to the gubernatorial race.
1: Yeah, the the money's not there. The the candidates weren't active in, in going to get it. it I, I do like that you mentioned that uh, some of Superintendent Ibarra's donations came from the land board. We don't often talk about that, but it is important to know that Superintendent of Public Instruction, like the state's other constitutional officers, does sit on the land board, and so that that's why we saw that there, but we don't and, always talk and, about and that And those role. resource industries, yeah. uh, land board
0: decisions are very important. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a dollars and cents issue for a lot of... Uh, A lot of PACs in the resource industry. So, maybe not surprising to see some money uh, flowing uh, to Abara's campaign in light of that. And it'll be interesting to watch this race unfold to see if any money flows to other candidates to, you know, how it flows, you know, whether Abara wins or uh, Dylan wins in the Republican primary and how that money flows on the Democratic side. a v. Land Board issues.
1: Yeah, just not a lot. Not a lot of fundraising. Not a lot of campaigning. We're not. We're not seeing the candidates for state superintendent out there. We're not seeing events. We're not getting mailers. When I drive through the neighborhoods, I'm not seeing any signs. No, I've not seen um, a sign for any of these candidates. And, and so it's sort of like you, you kind of wonder how it's going to go on on, on Tuesday. But uh, four years ago, you, you you borrow like you talked about. Didn't really raise any money. Didn't have any name recognition. It was a wide-open race four years ago, and she emerged out of a four-way uh, Republican primary to get the nomination and then held on to win uh, a close one in November. And so it seems like a similar well, game plan. She's sure. always talked about how she's not a politician.
0: Right. And, again, when we go into these primaries you know, where we know the turnout's going to be low, strange things can happen, yeah. you know, things that we don't see coming can happen. Certainly, Sherry Barre's victory in 2014 in the primary was unexpected. Uh, who knows what we're going to see up and down this ticket? We'll, we'll, you know, we'll be watching closely Tuesday night and analyzing it into the, the into the week next week. One thing you did this week uh, on the superintendent's race: we've talked about how you know you're not seeing advertising, you're not seeing much, uh, much of a public buzz about this race. You tried to break down this race a little bit more with the candidates, trying to get them on the record on a, on a, a bunch of issues, rolling out two days' worth of Q&A with the candidates. Walk us through what you saw there and what jumped out at you.
1: This was pretty cool, and this actually was kind of the second week that we've really spotlighted the state superintendents race. But, uh, Kevin, at Idaho Education News, we did a candidate forum back in early April on Boise State's campus where we had three of the four superintendent candidates there. Superintendent Ybarra was not able to attend. But that night, uh, our readers and our audience members there came up with a list of questions for the candidates. We held on to those, and we posed those to each of the campaigns over the last month. And then over two days, Wednesday and Thursday, we ran the candidates' responses to those questionnaires just in their own words. We asked about everything from teacher pay... And recruitment to your plan to teach special ed and special needs children, uh, to your plans for uh, education reform and organizing the State Department of Education offices. So we covered a lot of different topics. It was fun because those questions came from our readers, and, and it was sort of unfiltered responses that we got from the candidates, just in their own words, and we just ran those verbatim. And so we did hit on, I think there were nine different questions, a bunch of different issues, uh, within the educational landscape and, and that we're talking about. We asked about pre-K. I think a couple of the things that surprised me in terms of the responses ended up coming from Jeff Dillon, the Republican challenger mm-hmm. to Superintendent Ibarra. Now, Jeff is the superintendent of the Wilder School District in rural Canyon County, right. uh, out by the Oregon border. And just as a little bit of background here, his school district has embraced mastery-based education. They kind of call it personalized learning over there. And so I think that kind of informs his answers here. But one of the questions was, what is your plan to increase literacy and help struggling young readers who have fallen short of grade-level benchmarks? This has been a big topic for the legislature the past three years. We look at the number of students that enter school each fall reading behind grade-level benchmarks. That's been a concern for the legislature and for many policymakers. Jeff Dillon said. And I'm quoting here. I don't buy into the belief that all students should be all at the same, all reading at the same level at the same age in a single moment in time. And so, that that gets more into the mastery-based education, mm-hmm. personalized right. learning side of things. But kind of gets away from the focus on the Idaho Reading Indicator test results and the grade level literacy benchmarks uh, that had used to kind of inform the distribution of of that funding for the the literacy initiative, the reading initiative. And and
0: it's a little bit contrarian uh, when we've heard a lot of talk and still hear a lot of talk about uh, third-grade reading scores, uh, you know, getting third-grade reading proficiency as, as a key goal in education. And I'm not suggesting that Dylan is saying that, you know, you know, literacy proficiency isn't an important issue, but he's saying you know it's not maybe not as simple as everybody in third grade is going to be at a third grade level. It, it's it's a little bit more complicated.
1: Right? Yeah, it is. He's basically saying they should be able to do it on their own, at their own speed. That means some could get there quicker, some would get there uh, not quite as, as quick, and that's the whole idea behind mastery-based education. But on the other side of the coin, you've got Cindy Wilson on the Democratic ticket saying the third grade literacy rates are... Paramount for her. Uh, that from that point on, uh, if students cannot read at third grade, they'll be struggling behind their peers for the rest of their academic career. She served on the uh, board of correction and talked about uh, some implications there uh, for students that aren't reading at elementary levels and how they can sort of project out uh, prison population. Yeah, she draws based a bright line numbers. between
0: reading skills and future outcomes. So a very
1: case. different uh, approach. There, when we talk about literacy and, and early childhood education between those two, I thought that that was interesting. But if, if, if you want to get more into uh, the idea of pre-K, there's some differences between uh, the candidates there. Uh, the two Democrats, not surprisingly, Cindy Wilson and Alan Humble, uh, pushed for early childhood, pushed for pre-K in the state of Idaho. Superintendent Ybarra uh, said the research is there for early childhood learning, but she's pushing a free app. For the parents of four-year-olds called Smarty Answer, just rolling uh, that out. And Jeff Dillon is saying that, again, the numbers show that early childhood learning can be effective, but he favors more of an individualized approach where school districts would make their own decisions. And Jeff has said specifically that he is not going so far as to call for statewide funding for a statewide pre-K program. But uh, nine different questions talking about a number of different Uh, issues, school funding, early childhood learning, special education, special needs students, a lot to go through. So we broke it out over two days and and kind of stacked the responses side by side so you could see where the candidates stand uh, versus each other. And I I hope that that will be helpful to people as they make their decision. Here we are just four days uh, from the May 15th primary elections. I hope that those questionnaires will be instructive to folks as they... uh, as they do some research before they head to the polls next week.
0: Uh, a lot to look for there in those uh, Q&A stories. A lot to look for, too, on our at, on our elections page. Uh, you have in-depth pro- profiles of all four of the superintendents' yep. candidates. I've done uh, in-depth interviews with the five major gubernatorial candidates and uh, candidates in the first congressional district as well, with an emphasis on education topics. We're, we're not going to drill down with right. the gubernatorial or congressional <laughs> candidates on every topic, but our emphasis being education, uh, those stories are definitely written with a focus on education. So if you're undecided at this point and you're just trying to get uh, some research on these candidates, especially with an emphasis on education, go to our elections page. We have a lot of coverage there in addition to the horse race stuff, in addition to, you know, Coverage from the debates, coverage from the sunshine reports that we just uh, talked about at the outset. So a lot there. That's really easy to find. If you go to the
1: homepage, www.idahoednews.org, look on the right-hand side of the homepage, look for the Idaho state flag and the election 2018 logo. Everything from... The first congressional district races, the governor's race, the state superintendent's race, all your reporting on campaign finance, it's all there parked under that election 2018 homepage there. So that's real easy to find right. and a good resource. Um, where do you want to go next? Do you want to talk real quick about what folks can expect from us on Tuesday Yeah, night? let's get let's people a
0: sense of what to look for on, on Tuesday and beyond. So, um, you know, we're... Yeah, you know, we will have full coverage of this uh, of this election. Uh, you'll be working election night. Uh, you and Jennifer Swindell will be working from here. Yep. Andrew Reed will be taking some pictures from Election Central. Um, I, I will be covering from afar. I'm, I'm going to California, not with an aching in my heart, but going to California <laughs> with professional development in mind. And so, but I will be working. Uh, I will be uh, at the Education Writers Association annual conference in uh, Los Angeles. But on election night, I will be working. I will have a live blog going on Tuesday night, and I'll work in some follow-up coverage Again, from afar, but uh, this is a race that we've been watching very closely, and we're
1: going to see it through. Yeah, I've built a spreadsheet. We're going to be tracking several of the statewide races uh, in real time at our homepage on Tuesday night. I'll be updating live results every few minutes. We've got a spreadsheet built, and so if you're interested in following in real time the governor's race, first congressional state superintendent, I think I'm going to throw lieutenant governor's Mm -hmm. uh, race in there as well. Uh, so, if you're interested in some of those statewide races, uh, we'll be updating those in real time on Tuesday night, starting after eight p.m., After nine p.m. Actually, right. Um, so look look from that about nine, 9, 9 p.m. Mountain time, so. eight p.m. Pacific yeah.
0: time. So depending on where you're listening to. And us.
1: then we will have uh, big stories late into the night, early Wednesday morning, whenever it starts to become clear who some of the winners are. But we'll have, of course. Uh, Live stories, uh, late, 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 Tuesday night, early Wednesday morning, uh, letting you know just how everything shook out with uh, state superintendent's race and the governor's race are going to be the two that we will follow closest. We will keep our eyes on some legislative races, see if there's any upsets or any incumbents who uh, lose out in their own primaries. Yeah, I was going to say,
0: because there are a few uh, legislative races that uh, we'll keep a close eye on, uh, Julie Van Orden's race in Eastern Idaho, see if the House Education Committee chair. Uh, can survive a primary challenge, uh, a couple of other Eastern Idaho legislative races that we'll be watching closely. And y- you never know. Those, those are, uh, the legislative races are such a grab bag sometimes. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, we'll, we'll break it down. We'll figure out who won, who lost, uh, what sort of uh, upheaval there may be in uh in in the legislature
1: yeah if you're a night owl want to stay up with us late on tuesday night we'll have your results late if you're more of a morning person uh jennifer will have your results early wednesday morning as well so whichever way you want to get your results whatever time works best Idahoadnews.org is the place to be uh, for some of these statewide races with an eye towards education issues always. Right. And for a big
0: picture, kind of a step back, we will be back with uh, the Extra Credit Podcast next week, and it'll be all about elections, all about election results, Uh, what happened Tuesday, what the fallout from Tuesday is, and how does it set the stage for uh, for the election uh, to come in November. And, you know, again, I will be literally... Phoning this one in, we, yep. we, we are figuring out a technological way to uh, to do a podcast uh, long distance. But um, we'll be back. We'll we'll break it all down, barring some some communication communication breakdown. breakdown. You, you knew I, I was heading there, yeah, so I, yeah, but I was going to say it. It was a long way to get there, but we we got there. Um, we will have a podcast next week focusing on uh,
1: what happened Tuesday, what to look for in November. All right. Sounds good. Uh, that's – I think the election coverage we wanted to get to, want to encourage everybody to um, to get informed and don't to forget to head out to the polls Tuesday, May 15th, vote in your primary. You and wanted to cover a, and, one more story right. and I wanted uh, this to, week. Yeah, and I wanted to kind of
0: quickly uh, flag you to uh, – actually, a few things on our website at edo newsorg because it's not just all elections all the time, right. although it's kind of felt that way. It feels like that way, but no. <laughs> um I have a story uh, following up on what's happening in the Boise School District with uh, refugee education. In a nutshell here, what's happened is, and this is a reflection of national policy, uh, fewer refugees coming to the U.S., fewer refugees coming to the Boise School District. So Boise is rethinking its approach to refugee education, encouraging uh, high school students, refugee students in the high schools to stay in their local high schools as opposed to going to a a program at Bora High School that was targeted uh, for refugees. It was, you know, geared towards helping refugees uh, learn language skills and, you know, make the adjustment to uh, to education in the U.S. school. So that's a, a good follow up uh, and, and in- interesting shift in the way they're going to uh, approach refugee education in Boise. Something I'll probably want to follow up on in the next school year when the changes go into effect. Andrew Reed has an interesting story from North Idaho about a uh, North Idaho STEM STEM charter school and its uh, first ever high school graduating class and how uh, they're all planning to go to college. They're all planning to continue their education in one form or another. So uh, I catch up on that story. Devin Bodkin has continuing coverage. He's taken a really deep look at uh, what's happening with virtual education in, in Idaho. Uh, an in-depth look in his continuing uh, continuing examination of that. So a lot of good stuff at our website to get caught up with. So it's not all elections. There's a lot to read about in education policy as well.
1: All right. Sounds good. Uh, One plug here. If you're getting ready to head out to the polls and vote on May 15th, be sure and check out all of our coverage. But one more website to keep in mind. I may have mentioned this last week, www.idahovotes.gov. That's the Secretary of State's website. But you can go there and enter your name and address and find out two important pieces of information one, if you are registered to vote or not. Two, the location of your polling place. And if you haven't voted in a couple of elections, your polling place may have changed. Right. And so uh, it, it's always, I always check even uh, before elections. You, know, um, you want to know ahead
0: of time before you start heading out and
1: you know, drive to the wrong place. Yep. Yeah, so that is the Secretary of State's website, IdahoVotes.gov. Check that out. Uh, be sure to check out our Elections 2018 tab for all the coverage. And then come back and join us Wednesday or Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, whichever is most convenient for you. But uh, after about 9 p.m. Mountain Time Tuesday, we will have live results and start putting together coverage uh, once we get some results coming in and, and get a sense, really, of, of what's happening and who the winners and losers are in these respective primaries. So it'll be a late night and an early morning uh, for us, but we always look forward to it. We always have a lot of fun on election night. I think that gets us all caught up for this week. Thanks so much, as always, for listening. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin.
0: Have a good week.